I always love those people who give back blessing for blessing. Christ is risen. Indeed, for all of you who are joining us today for the first time, maybe you're here with your mom or maybe you're just checking things out, I just want to say welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Our hope and our prayer today is that you encounter God, that you encounter the goodness of God, that you encounter the love of the Father specifically for you, not just an idea, not some ambiguous, kind of nebulous idea out there, but that the real, personal, powerful love of God encounters you today. That is our hope and that is our prayer. I want to jump in and before I get into the word, I want to thank a couple of people. I have heard nothing but nonstop, incredible reports about our kindred retreat this past weekend. So I have a a number of people I want to thank very quickly. I want to thank all of you, first and foremost, for attending and for Uh, beating down your disappointment and your frustration at the pivot that we all had to make. Uh, Christy texted me. She gave me a call. I think it was Thursday afternoon. She went up there. And I'm thinking to myself, babe, why are you canceling this for a little bit of rain? It's no big deal. See, she sends me a couple of pictures. Guys, there's like two feet of snow up there at Quaker Ridge in Woodland Park. And I was like, oh, that's why. You actually actually know what you're doing. Like, you're... (laughs) She was like, babe, it is crazy up here. Our four-wheel drive vehicle barely made it up here. She's, I was like, babe, like seriously, whatever you need as you make this pivot. I know it's slightly disappointing, and we're working on all the refunds and all the details with all of that. But ladies, thank you so much for just leaning in and saying, you know what? Regardless of the adjustment that we're having to make, we're going to have an incredible time with the Lord and with each other. So you kept the main thing, the main thing. Most importantly, there was a team of ladies, most of whom are volunteers, who had to work extra, extra, extra hard as a result of that pivot to decorate this place, to to now cook food because we don't have a retreat center that's going to be cooking food for everyone, some of whom were not able to really participate in all of the events because they were serving behind the scenes. So if you're in this room and you were on that kindred lead team, and you were serving in any capacity. Can I just see you? Can we all see you? Can you stand up? I know there's several of you, and most of them are sleeping in, and rightly so. They'll be here in the second service, but they worked tirelessly, and I just want to say to all of them, thank you so much for all the work that you put into making this an incredible, not just a beautiful, but a power-encountered weekend for all of our women. Just by show of hands, if you were to say, like, I really met with God or I met with God's people in a very powerful way in the past two days, and I'm so glad I came. Can I just see your hands? I want to see your hands. Oh, my gosh. Ladies, thank you so much. So beautiful. So amazing. Amen. So I made a discovery, and it's something that I've known, at least conceptually, but this morning, this discovery just crashed into my spirit, and I realized that there is this passion that is burning inside of me, and that passion is to see us, as the people of God, discover the fullness of the life that God has for every single one of us. Like when I hear about people who have lived any portion of their Christian lives, And particularly when I hear that they lived a large portion of their Christian lives without knowing things about God in the Christian life, like God is a God who heals, 
or that God has given us his spirit to dwell within us and to empower us to actually live the kingdom life with a measure of freedom and power and authority. And when I realize that people have not understood these things and lived them out and practiced them, like what happened to me this morning was, it makes me really, really, really upset. Because friends, God has called us into an amazing, abundant kingdom life, not to be victims by the enemy, but to walk in authority and power, to walk rooted in identity as beloved sons and daughters. And so what I want to do in the next two Wednesdays is I actually want to teach a class. I'm, I'm calling a major audible here, but I want to teach a class 6.30 p.m. this Wednesday, so three days from today and then 10 days from today, the week after, right here in this room, and I want to teach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like, I realize that as our church has grown, there may be a number of us who this notion of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit may, a, may either A, be something that you've never heard about, and so therefore you may be a little indifferent about it. You may not realize that this is something that you can go after in God, or B, there might be some of us in the room who have actually heard negative things about this. There might be some of us who have grown up hearing messages or mantras that have told us that anybody who talks about the spirit-filled life or the baptism of the Holy Spirit or speaking in tongues or walking in the gifts of the Spirit, run away from them as fast as you can. And I would just love the opportunity to open the scriptures together, to have an opportunity to perhaps correct or address what I believe are some negative ideas around who the Holy Spirit is and his ministry for the believer today. It is very, very, very important. And so if you're interested or if you want a refresher, I want to invite you to come this Wednesday and next Wednesday. We're going to open up the scriptures and we're going to go through dozens of scriptures talking about who the Holy Spirit is and how he wants to empower us for living today. Okay, finally, I want to pray for the moms in the room. Jonathan did a phenomenal job, but I, I would love to have an opportunity to pray for all the moms in the room. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for every woman that is in this room because Mother's Day, for many of us, can be a little bit of a mixed bag. There are some of us in this room, and you had incredible moms. And so when you think about Mother's Day, your mind, your memory, your heart, your emotion, it's just, it's just full it's full of beautiful experiences and moments and memories, and I think that's worthy of celebrating. There are some of you that are in this room, and every mom, no matter how well you're crushing the game, here's what I've come to discover. Every mom feels like they're not crushing the game, even if you're crushing the game. Because the enemy is real and because you carry so much love and you carry so much of a desire to do a great job loving and ministering to your family and your children, you're always going to feel like you come up short. And I want to pray over you because chances are most likely you're doing a much better job than you think you're doing. And I want to bless you because you're doing a great job. There are some of us in this room, the idea about Mother's Day is very painful. Maybe we lost a mom Maybe we didn't have a healthy relationship with our mom. Maybe we, there are some of us in this room that are longing for children, and that is a perpetual ache in our soul today. 
And friends, wherever you are at on this spectrum of this idea called Mother's Day, I want to just pray the grace of the Lord upon you. So is it okay, church? Can we minister to our moms again and minister to the women in our family again? So if you are a woman in the house, will you stand up this morning? And all around this room, if you're close to someone, you can lay hands on them or you can stretch forth your hands to someone. But I want to pray healing and I want to pray comfort and I want to pray grace and I want to pray strength. And I want to pray that the lives of the enemy be broken off of you. So today, Father, we bless every woman in our house today. Look at this. My goodness. It's like, like a four-to-one ratio in here. We need to repopulate. Men, invite friends. <laughs> Father, thank you for the women that are in this house, that they are beautiful and that they're lovely. And Lord, that you call them beloved. Father, we thank you for the uniqueness of what it means to be a woman in the body of Christ. Father, we pray right now, first and foremost, for those who are experiencing a beautiful and happy and joy-filled celebration today. Lord, I pray that you would fill their tank, that this would just be a day where the joy of the Lord would touch every woman in this room. Father, I pray that you would frame and reframe and bring heavenly perspective around what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a female, and particularly what it means to be a mom in this hour of history. Father, we silence the voice of the enemy who says you're not doing enough. Father, I pray right now comfort and I pray healing for those who are experiencing pain or who are experiencing loss around being a mother or not being a mother or having a broken relationship with a mother. Father, I pray right now the healing grace of God would come and enter into this room and come and enter into every one of our hearts. And God, that you would heal those spaces in our lives that bring us pain around mothers. And Father, I pray right now that the brokenness of our lives before you would be a sweet-smelling, fragrant offering before you, that you would just come in and sit right in the middle of our pain, and God, that you would bring restoration. We pray that you would do it today by the power of your Spirit and by the great grace of God, in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you, ladies. Bless you. All right, friends, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to our next installment. We're going to go to the book of 1 John. And we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, and I'd like for you to consider this like a part B or a part 2 to what Pastor Jonathan preached last week out of 1 John chapter 3. I've been sitting in the message of the love of the Father and our beloved identity as sons and daughters now for a solid 15 years. 15 years ago, I stumbled across a series of books that, when I say changed my life, It's no exaggeration. Like I had been living for God for probably about, I don't know, at least a solid 15 years prior to that. And I mean like living for God, all out, passionately, energetically pursuing the person of who God is, giving myself to developing as a minister. And yet there was this cornerstone revelation, this cornerstone understanding about who God is and consequently about who we are in God that I was missing. It was a linchpin revelation. It was a critical cornerstone revelation upon which my Christian life was actually built on a little bit of what I would call a faulty foundation because the revelation of the Father's love was missing or it was a little skewed. And in 2008, by the grace of God, I discovered by revelation an understanding of 
the Father's love. Friends, I'd like to propose to you today that if you're living Christianity from any other center or from any other place or from any other motivation than the love of the Father, it's, it's set up for failure. It's set up for disappointment. It's, it's set up to be incomplete. And in a lot of ways, this is John the Beloved's primary message in 1 John He's trying to get us into understanding who God is as the God of love. A couple of weeks ago, I don't have answers for this right now. A couple of weeks ago, I was cleaning my kitchen. I was listening to this song around the love of God. And I was thinking to myself, like, what's the motivation? I mean, for those of us who have heard this message, for those of us who have who have this understanding of why this message might be important for us, it makes sense. Like, but to the outsider, and I'm thinking to, to the guy or to the gal who's experienced a really rough life, the notion of God or the notion of being tender, the notion of being vulnerable, the notion of being loved might be seen as weakness. And I was thinking, God, what's, what's the motivation for this? What's the angle why would someone who, who, who perceives or sees a loving God or experiencing love as weakness, why would, why would they want to hear this message? And to be really honest with you, I'm still wrestling with that right now. I'm, still, I'm try, still trying to figure that out. I know the answer, but I'm not sure if the answer translates. I haven't found the way that this message translates. But at the heart of it, it is this, very, very simply. Number one, God is love, Period. He is like the essence, the full essence, the most accurate image and representation of who God is. He's not a warrior. That's not his primary, that's not his primary image. That is not his primary nature. Does he have warrior-like qualities? You bet. I mean, can God throw down? Absolutely. He is a king, but that is not the primary role and it's not the primary characteristic by which he wants to be known. He is a judge. He can judge. He will judge rightly. He would judge correctly. He would judge in righteousness and in truth, but that's not the primary way that he wants you to know who he is. He is wise beyond all wisdom. In fact, I, I, there, there's a part of me that's tempted to believe that the wisdom of God is the most important part of God that I need. It's not. He is wise. He has a perspective and a solution on every challenge, on every frustration, on every confusing conflict that you might find yourself in. And yet, the wisdom of God is not the most important thing about God that you need to know. It's the love of God, friend. Amen. It is the love of God. So not only is it the most important reality about God that we need to understand, but it's the most important reality about ourselves. And here's why. Because until you discover, A, that he is a God of love, of passionate, personal love for you, and until you realize that you were created in love, by love, and for love, you will always be chasing these shadow ideas of what you think you need to be in order to merit some sense of value and worth and love 
in the world. Okay, so that's my setup. Let's jump into this. First John chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 7. Friends, let me implore you, like soak in First John chapter 4, 7 through the remainder of the chapter. I mean, just sit in it, soak in it. Let the power of the word melt down your defenses and, and truly transform you, like change you. Like after 15 years of soaking in this, I, I feel like I'm finally beginning to touch the transforming power of the love of God in my life. Amen. I'm becoming more tender. I'm becoming more patient. I'm becoming more gracious. I'm becoming more gentle with my wife, with my children, with my dog. Friends, listen, that's how you know. <laughs> I'm just saying, for Jay Duncan, that's how you know this stuff is working, man. Like, I actually am loving on my dog. I'm like, what is happening? This, I need therapy. All right, First John, chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Love comes from God. You know where love comes from? God. Man, you guys are quick learners. You're sharp. Love comes from God. Love doesn't come from ourselves. Love doesn't come from the world around us. The, the entire idea or notion or concept or reality of what love is, is a God-created concept. Remember that the, the job of the enemy is to create counterfeits. Like, that's what the enemy does. For every good and perfect and true thing that God creates and lays before us, the enemy spends, tirelessly spends time trying to figure out how to create a seductive and destructive counterpart and counterfeit to the good and beautiful thing that God creates for us. Right. Like that right there will blow your mind. I, I, you, like you need to get that into the core of your being. That the enemy's job is to lie and part of the function of his lying is to create counterfeits to every good and beautiful thing that God creates and lays before you. There's a counterfeit to truth. There's a counterfeit to marriage. There's a counterfeit to gender. There's a counterfeit to business. There's a counterfeit to living in the righteousness of God. And this is why you'll see that the enemy will take ideas and notions and he'll spin them just enough. He'll spin them just enough to make them believable and to make them desirable, but in the end, their fruit is bitter death because this is the enemy's job. So from the beginning, the enemy has looking has been looking to create counterfeits to every good thing that the Lord has provided for his people, not the least of which is love. Like, Part of our maturity in God is learning how to discern this is authentic, this is the real, this is the genuine, and this right here is a counterfeit. That's counterfeit love. That's manipulative love. That's destructive love. That's self-serving love. Part of your entire life is going to be learning how to discern between those two things. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Another way of saying this is 
the greatest indicator of you being a born-again Christian, the greatest indicator, the greatest representative, the greatest fruit of your spiritual maturity, it's not walking in the gifts, it's not prophesying, it's not casting out devils, it's not preaching and teaching, it's not having immaculate doctrine. The greatest indicator of whether or not you are in fact maturing as a believer is the quality and the degree of your love. That's scripture. Everyone who has been born of God and knows God loves. Like this really is the primary place we should be giving our attention in all of life. And it's beautiful. Again, the enemy is so brilliant because if he can convince us of one of two things, A, you already know this, so we won't give ourselves to really thinking deeply or experiencing richly the love of God if he convinces us that this is an elementary thing in God and you've been in God for years and so you can kind of, you know, you're beyond this. You've graduated beyond this. John three sixteen. oh my gosh, don't, don't offend me. Don't belittle me. John three sixteen. really? The Billy Graham crusades, like I've been living in God for years. Give me a break, friends. Like, for all of eternity, I kid you not, you will be extracting the riches of John 3.16 for eternity. You will never exhaust your understanding of the limitless riches and the profound, watch me, implications of what it means that God is love. That love comes from God that everyone who has been born of God and knows God loves. This is the most profound revelation you can ever get a hold of in your life. And here's why, here's why. Because when you get that cornerstone, when you get that wheel, when you get that centered down, when you get that foundation down inside of you, then you begin to understand, then everything works. Then everything that you do, you're teaching, you're leading, your husbanding, your wifing, your fathering, your mothering, your leading, your, your, all of it comes out of that, that core revelation, that inexhaustible supply of the revelation of the Father's love. Right? Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Look at it right there. God is love. Like this, this is who God is. Amen. He is love. That's his core identity. Do you realize every single one of us has a core identity? Like I don't have time right now to unpack the nature of your core identity. But what happens is, I'm going to just introduce this thought for you. What happens is, is in life, we experience certain things most of it happens in our family of origin, and we begin to adopt a core identity. Some of you, your core identity is, I'm funny, I'm the funny guy. Some of you, your core identity is, I'm strong. I've always got to be strong. I've always got to be enough. I've always got to be sufficient. I've always got to produce because I'm strong. And something happened in your life and you made an agreement with yourself, I will never be weak again. So who I'm going to be is I'm going to be the strong one. 
Those of you who have watched Encanto, you know who ta- you know I'm talking about. <laughs> Some of you, your, your core identity, now just, I want you to think about this right now with the Holy Spirit. I can give you a number of examples, but when I ask you this, and just listen to the Holy Spirit, what has been your core identity from which you have lived all of your life? Some of you, your core identity has been rejection. And here's the masterful ploy of the enemy, that rejection creates and begets rejection. That if you were rejected in any part of your life and you latched onto that in your core identity, then you begin living out of this self-fulfilling prophecy that every person that I interact with, they're going to reject me. So you reject them first and your rejection begets rejection. And when they reject you back, you go, see, I told you. And you know what happens? It just gets entrenched. You know why that is? Because somewhere along the way, you adopted a core identity of rejection, shame, fear, We can go on and on with this. So what do we do with this, Pastor Jade? We need to identify it in the Holy Spirit. And then we need to allow God to replace or displace that core identity with the core identity of who he is as love and consequently who we are as loved ones. Do you know what your your core identity, let 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 me show you this connection. If God's core identity is love, And you were created out of his core identity. Do you realize that? You were created out of his core identity. You were not created for function. You were not created because God needed more workers in the earth. You were not created to produce. Your production comes out of your core identity as a loved one. When you have revelation that God is love and therefore you are a loved one, now your core identity identity influences and affects everything that you touch. So for those of you who are like, I'm the smart guy. I'm the smart woman. Watch this. Your wisdom and your knowledge can actually produce life when it flows from your core identity as a loved one. You may have the truth. You may have the truth, but it's not producing life. And what's the purpose of truth? To lead people into freedom and life. But your truth will never lead people into freedom and life if it is not anchored in and flowing out of the love of God. It's endless, guys. I'm telling you, it's endless. You producers, thank God for producers. But what you're producing will either just be another yoke. Another yoke of burden. Or it will produce freedom and life. It just depends on where you're producing out of. Oh, man. This is... God is love. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Say, this is love. This is love. love. If you want to know what love is, go to the one who is love. Go to the one who created love. 
Go to, to, go to the one who invented the very notion of God because it's going to blow your mind. He has been love for all of eternity. Amen. That blows my mind. God has infinitely been the full totality and perfection of love for all of eternity. There has never been one day that God, there's never been one second of one minute of one hour of one day where God has not been love in its perfection for all of eternity. So if you want to understand what love is, we ought to go to the one who is love. And for those young ones who are in the room, like I just, I want you to, I want you to just give me about two minutes. You know, when I was, when I was young, there were, there were a lot of things that shaped me, but music was something that really shaped my life. And it, it did not shape my life for good. And if I were to air out my laundry list of people that I listened to, feeding my core identity on two types of music, angry rap music and sensual R&B music. So my notion of love became, my notion of love was shaped by a culture that demeaned women. So you know what I consequently did? I, I demeaned women because this was what my definition of love was shaped by. It was lustful. It was sensuous. It was self-seeking. It was power-driven. It was positionally based because this is where I was deriving my definition and my interpretation of what love is. And so my appeal particularly, I mean, this, this is for all of us, right? But particularly for the young ones who are, who are immersing and saturating our core identity and the way we live our life out of certain types of music and certain messages that are being spoken around us about what love is. If you want to know what love is, look at the person and the nature of God revealed in Jesus. Amen. Let me read this again, verse 10, because this is what love is. This, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There is so much there, friends, in that one little verse. Oh, yeah. So this is what he says. Let me just kind of at least introduce this thought. Our version, our definition, our notion of what love is cannot come from ourselves because we are broken and we are needy. True love can never come from a place of need. One of the things I tell young, young couples that come to me for premarital and young couples that want to start dating and get engaged, I say this, I say, listen, two broken people cannot make a whole relationship. Some of you need to get that. Like if there's brokenness inside of your core identity, if you're looking to someone else to fulfill you, if you've had a broken family of origin or a dysfunctional family or you need someone else to make you feel good about yourself or your relationship will always experience a measure 
of dysfunction and brokenness if you're looking to someone else to fulfill what only God can fulfill in your life. And I'm going to explain this why here in a second. In our earlier years, this is a little bit of an embarrassing uh, confession. You're going to learn a lot about Pastor Jade in this message. In the earlier years of our development, there was something that was so broken within me as it related to being loved that I was always suspicious. There was this, there was this hidden suspicion that Christy didn't really love me. And it didn't matter what kind of hoops she would jump through. And, and, it, and it kind of enmeshes itself in this manipul- these manipulative tactics that I wasn't even understanding that I was operating in. But it was all coming from a place of not being fully and sufficiently loved by the Father. And so consequently, no matter what Christy did or didn't do in the name of love, it never convinced me. And it never would have. Like our marriage went through a revolution when I was healed by the love of the Father. I think I'm speaking to some husbands out there, and I may be speaking to some wives. If you, let me just say this one more time, and I'm appealing to you, if you're looking to another human being to fulfill what only the Father can fulfill, you're setting yourself up for perpetual disappointment, And you're setting that person up for, for, they will fail you over and over again. And some of you are like, man, I, I really, I love this person. I know they love me. And yet like down in the core root structures of your relationship, you keep running into this wall and it keeps perpetuating this, this never ending wound inside of you. Like I would appeal to you today, consider Maybe there's a part of your life that needs to be completely healed and restored by the love of the Father. Amen? This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he demonstrated his love very simply in self-sacrifice. This is what love is. Love is sacrifice. It is self-giving, self-giving love. That, That is the core essence of what love is. It is, self, it is self-sacrificing. The core essence of lust is self-satisfying. Like lust doesn't have to just be looking at images that are impure. Anything that you're doing where you, you are satisfying yourself at the expense of someone else, positionally, functionally, you know what that's called? It's called lust. And it fuels power and it fuels selfishness, right? This is love. Not that we loved God because we are incapable of loving God without God. This is love. He loved us and he showed us how he loved us by sacrificing. Again, young ones, please hear me. I I care about you. I love you. I, I want the future of your life, the future of your marriages to be on a good steady ground. You know, we're in it, we are in an epidemic in our culture. All of these reality TV shows where people are getting married, where they've ever seen each other, or bachelors, and it's, it's, all, it's, it's endless, right? And all that does is it shows us that the, the culture has the leverage point of defining love and marriage for us. It's one of the reasons why, one of, it's not the only one of the reasons why our marriages are so shattered in this hour as Christians, 
Let me just, let me, let me share some, I'm going to do a lot of premarital counseling here, so I don't have to do it in the future. <laughs> if you have not been hurt and offended by someone that you want to marry yet, and you've not worked through the hard work of forgiving them, don't get married. If you've not had to let something go that you treasure, and if you've not had to lay that down, if you've not experienced that yet, don't get married. When Christy and I first got married, in fact, we, we almost didn't get married because she ran away from me. And she ran, I tell you, you're going to get all up in the Dunkin' junk today. Seriously, there'd be no Milan, no Kenya, no Kingston, no Israel, no Pastor Jade. No, she ran away because she was like, oh, wait, hold up. But you want to be a pastor? She's like, I'm out. <laughs> and you ever see Runaway Bride? You know? <laughs> runaway Bride. Like times, times a thousand. No, she was like, I'm not. Seriously, she was like, I'm not. I am not interested. God has not called me to be a pastor or in ministry. God has not called me to this. Therefore, God has not called me to you. And all of you ladies who experienced and tasted the fruit of her ministry yesterday, you're like, ooh, you missed it, girl. <laughs> but then, but then she came to a place like love began to mature. She laid that down. On the flip side, as we began to talk, now we're going to get really, really vulnerable. There was a season of Christy's life where she didn't want to have kids. And I was like, oh, I'm out. I was like, I've dreamed about having children. I mean, before, before I knew what love was, before I, I was even dating, I was praying for my kids in high school and in college. And I'll never forget, we're sitting at the restaurant that she worked at one night, and something just settled in. I said, I love you, and I'm willing to take the risk. And if it means that we don't have kids, I'm going to roll those dice. Like, if you've, not, if you've not touched something that is precious to you, and you've not experienced laying that down for the sake of someone else that you say you love, I'd like to propose you, you've not tasted love yet. That's right. right? If you've not had to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, don't get married. I'm telling you, this is love that God sent his son to die. And unless you have tasted some form of death in your life for the sake of someone else's betterment and benefit, you have no business getting married. Right. I didn't mean to turn this into like, you know, a, a, mar a premarital conference today. <laughs> for some of you who have been married for decades, this is for you too. Okay, let's keep moving on. All the wind went out the room. Lord, bring it back. Bring the wind of the Holy Ghost back. Let's see here. Let's, let's shoot on over here just for the sake of time. Let's look at verse 18, and we'll look at verse 19. I think, I think I can land this plane in two verses. Verse 18. There is no fear in love. Like if, if we were really, really gut-level, ridiculously honest with ourselves today. Most of us are not living in our relationships out of love. We're living out of fear. Come on, be honest with me. 
Most of our reactions, most of our control, most of our manipulation, most of our blaming, you know, it's coming out of a place of fear. And I can't name that fear for you, but I've done, I, listen, I've done a healthy, healthy dose of self-examination over the course of many, many years now. And I could show you my laundry list. But a lot of it's rooted in, I, I, don't, I, I don't really believe and I'm afraid that you don't love me for who I am. And so now what I have to do is I've got to try to control you out of sympathy. I've got to try to manipulate you. I've got to try to dominate you. I've got to try to engender some form of these, these charades to make you feel sorry for me. And you know, you know, listen, you know, all that that's doing is it's creating a shadow form of love. It's one of the reasons why whatever you're getting from that person isn't touching the deepest need. Are you hearing me today? Because it's not coming from the wholeness of being loved by the Father. Perfect love casts out fear. So here's a great self-examination question for you. Are my relationships being touched by fear? Are they being shaped by fear? What am I afraid of in this fill-in-the-blank relationship? Get honest. Holy Spirit, help me shine light. Show me where the fear is in my relationship with you. What do we hide from God and what do we hide from the people that we say we love the most because of fear? What are we ashamed of? Shame is fueled by fear. What part of God's perfect love needs to touch some part of us that is rooted in fear. Like, let me just give you the solution very quickly. When you feel like there's a place inside of you that's just being ruled by fear, that part of you needs the, love, the, the perfect love of God. And here's, here's what you do. You say, Father, I pray that your perfect love would come to this place of fear inside of me. I pray for a revelation of your perfect love to this, and you gotta name it. You have to do the work to name that fear in your life and then invite the perfect love of God to come into that place. Lord, I realize that I can be overbearing with my children and I've come to realize that that comes out of fear. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that they'll grow up and they'll, they'll hate you. I'm afraid that they'll grow up and that they'll ruin their lives. I'm afraid, you just name it. Because I'm here to tell you right now, like the over-controlling parenting style out of fear, it's just going to perpetuate the thing that you're afraid of. And so somehow, by the grace of God and by the help of the Holy Spirit, we've got to backpedal and say, God, this isn't working, so I invite your perfect love into my fear. All right, here's the last thing. This should be a series, y'all. Just like 1 John 4, 7 through... 19 should be a series. Verse 19, watch this. Watch this. We love because he first loved us. Amen. Most of us can quote that. Most of us have heard that. But here's the reality, friends. Most of us are not living out of that. And here's why. Because we've turned this verse into duty. And until you can stop 
and until you can slow down and until you can get painfully honest, and it's scary, but until you can get painfully honest with God and you can say, God, I'm broken and I've not tasted the love of the Father, I've not been healed or restored by the love of the Father, and most of what I'm doing in my life is not being loved or or not being lived out of love. Most of my Christian life is, is driven by duty, not delight. So, so he, here's, here's what I believe that God is saying. Here's my vision for you. Here's my highest and my best for you. And you come on up, thanks, Seth. That every part of your life is being motivated and fueled by your revelation of how much God loves you, not how much God loves them. Like, oh, I want to reach the nations because God loves them. It's insufficient. Your revelation of how much God loves someone else can never be greater of how much God loves you. Your revelation and understanding of how much God loves them can never be greater, truly and authentically greater than your revelation of how much God loves you. I'm telling you, friends. Ask the Father to love you. Ask the Father to reveal his love for you and keep doing it over and over and over and over until what comes out of you. Every motivation for every inconvenience, every motivation for every difficult thing and every good thing will be, oh, God, you love me so deeply. Now I'm able to see how much you love them. Friends, will you stay with me this morning? This is a really important message for moms. Moms, one of the best things you can do because I know you wanna be a great mom and you are a great mom. One of the best things you can do is receive the love of the Father. Amen. Hear him speak tenderly over your lives. I know we're running a little close on time, but can we give the Holy Spirit 60 seconds? Let him speak to you. Let the Father whisper love words over you. I pray there's not an ounce of condemnation in this message, guys. The Father loves you. On your best day and on your worst day. The Father loves you. The Father sees you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not angry with you. He's not tolerating you. I know right now, I know exactly what's happening in some of you. The enemy is right next to you. I'm just gonna command the enemy to be silenced. The accusing voice of the enemy be silenced. The Father loves you so deeply. Not just when you get it right, not just when you screw it up. He loves you in the mundane moments, in the boring moments. He loves you, friend. Holy Spirit, would you help me today and come reveal the love of the Father? Would you come awaken love inside of us? Would you reveal the depths of your love 
how you stare at us. <laughs> the Father looks at you lovingly and affectionately when you don't even realize he's doing it. He stares at you. <laughs> 